Um, in fact, we're going to look at this text here in Psalm 127. It is um, just the, the most, what I believe, the most precise, definitive statement uh, on children uh, that, that, that could ever be made. Because it's Scripture, so it's given by inspiration of God. God has spoken in this text, and He has given us His opinion. Everybody has opinions, right? And sometimes we think, sometimes we grasp onto our opinions too tightly, uh, and we have to be challenged. Because our opinions really are not that important when God has something to say. And sometimes our opinions can actually contradict what God says. And so it is very important for us to, first of all, realize that God has spoken. He's given us revelation, His Word. And He's given us some information about things that many times can challenge our thinking. And everybody has an opinion on children. Some people like children. Some people don't like children. Uh, some children are likable, some children are not likable. Uh, you know, there's just all kinds of things. And, yep, my fault. This is off, right? Tell Alice so I can just stash this here. Uh, all right, Gore, thank you. Anybody want to say anything? No, I'm kidding. Thank you. Oh, sorry, Gore, wrong arm. So, what we want to do today is we want to, first of all, step back and consider that God has spoken, and he's given us his thoughts about children. And we're going to see, first of all, and I want to challenge you, do your thoughts about children line up with what God says? And hopefully you will understand what God says, and you will come to learn and have the same idea. Uh, Now, not everybody can have children. Not, not everybody are, is blessed with children. And so Moses and Sweetie have been blessed of God. And uh, it is not something that, again, everybody can have. So let me give you the outline. We're going to just jump in. We're going to look at Psalm 127, primarily what, really verse 3 is what we're going to look at. Because that is God's definitive statement on children. And I agree 100% with him. If you are able to have children, children are awesome. Uh, And I could never have imagined how enhanced life would be um, until I had children. So let's look. And and what I want to do, see now most of the time when people are looking at Psalm 127, they go right to verse 3 and they finish at verse 5. So most sermons, in fact most sermons... Uh, I've preached on for when it comes to children, if I've gone to this psalm, it's been verses 3, 4, and 5. Because that's what seems to talk about children. And I always viewed verses 1 and 2 as not part of the issue. But today, I'm going to read, and we're going to jump in at verses 1 and 2. So again, look at verse Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the, what? House. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord build, uh, except the Lord keep the what? City. They watch, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. So, 
First, God's saying something about houses, and then he's saying something about cities, the idea of building a house, and then the idea of maintaining a city or protecting a city. And he's saying, unless the Lord does that, they labor in vain that, that, that do it. Um, it is, in fact, you know, in verse 3, or verse 2, it's basically saying our attempts to do anything apart from God's help is vanity. Now, when it comes to verse 3, I always just saw it as separate. Okay, we're talking about houses, we're talking about keeping a city, watching it. And, and so God makes this statement, and then, okay, let's put that back, put that aside. Now let's talk about kids. And I never saw them as connected. But the more I study it, the more I realize this is, an, this is a whole psalm. When this was given to Israel, in fact, if you have uh, some of the notes that actually were part of the, um, the scripture, uh, you have... Before verse 1, in fact, let me find out how many of you have this. It should say, a song of degrees for Solomon. How many have that? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you, oh, some of you do, more of you do. That actually, a lot of times your, your subheadings and that kind of thing were added later. This came with the psalm. And a song of degrees is a title that's given to 15 of the psalms. This is one of them. And by degrees, this was a song, along with the other 14 that were sung, going up the hill ascending to Jerusalem during the feast days. So, you know, when it says the idea, a song of degrees, it's from Solomon. It was, it was sung during the festivals by Israel. And they didn't sing it in two parts. They sang the whole psalm because it's meant to go together. So what does God say about children in these first three verses? Point one, we're going to see that the fruit of the womb is God's doing. And by the way, the fruit of the womb, a fruit is the, what's produced from a tree, from a person. So the fruit of the womb is children. That's where children come from. They're born in the womb. And, and we learn by keeping verses one and two in the text and then seeing what God says in verse 3 is that when a woman is able to be blessed with a child, it is God's doing. Totally. Now, we do have a part in it. And someone could say, Pastor, you don't have a man and a woman. Uh, you don't have them together somehow. You know, you're not going to have a child. But you and I realize we do play our part. But ultimately, it's God. Number two, we're going to see that the fruit of the womb is is his, and here's a peculiar, here's a weird phrasing. The fruit of the womb is his heritage. Now, we don't often, I don't hear anyone outside of the scripture mentioning uh, when someone has a child, this idea. So we're going to, what does God mean by the fruit of the womb? Or, or um, children are an heritage of the Lord. What does that mean? And then thirdly, we're going to see that the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you have to be worthy to have children? Does that mean that people that don't have children or are unable to have children are not worthy? It does not, by the way. But let's jump right in. First of all, 
the fruit of the womb is God's doing. Again, verse 1 and 2, which builds and leads into verse 3, except the Lord build the house. If God is not involved, and by the way, there have been a lot of houses that have been built where the Lord's not been a part of it. But notice what God says. They labor in vain that build it. Perfect example is the Tower of Babel. They built that tower. They, they began to build that tower. And God was not in it. And, uh, and they, they, they got quite far. And, and I imagine, it, you know, maybe it was the first pyramid. It just You know, it, it must have been quite a structure. And the builders invested a lot of time and a lot of energy in building the Tower of Babel, but God was not in it. And their efforts proved to be fruitless. By the way, when you and I do things, we can accomplish a lot humanly. You know, somebody could balk at this and say, what are you talking about if God doesn't do this? I did this all by myself. And you have a lot of people that say stuff like that. And they'll think they'll be all proud of themselves But in the long run, folks, when it's all said and done, if God is not involved in our efforts, it really is a waste. And we can do a lot. But without God, they labor in vain that build it. Then also, not just is it building and accomplishing things, it's also maintaining, protecting things. Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. In other words, God is saying, listen, I want to be involved in every aspect of your life. Again, in the same way, there have been many cities from pagan countries or pagan nations, pagan cities, where they had walls around the city and they had watchmen and they had towers and they had all the military of their day. And they did not acknowledge God. And so those watchmen... Humanly speaking, you could say, wow, they were very effective. They saw the enemy coming from afar and they gave the warning and the city was able to defend themselves. Yes. But the bottom line is, God is saying, if I'm not involved in your life, the best of human efforts is worthless. In the end run. Jesus said, without the Lord, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And so, that's not just a thought for building things and for maintaining things, that also carries into verse 3. And so, look at verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. This is not changing thoughts here. This is continuing the thought and saying, listen, having children, yes, parents are involved. You can't have two children without the influence of a mother and a father. America's forgotten that these days. But there's still the involvement of a male and a female, right? But what's happening? People are forgetting God. And so, yes, you can have children totally apart from God. But the same principle applies. Except the Lord bless you with children. You labor in vain. And so, children are an heritage of the Lord. So let's move to the second thing. The idea of of inheritance. The fruit of the womb, children, is inheritance. The word heritage is an interesting term. And a lot of times, sometimes you understand, we use King James Version, and it was written 400 years ago, and sometimes 
mentioned this recently, sometimes words go out of use. Uh, I've recommended the, um, well, it's no, I meant to, in fact, I meant to say this last time. I gave a plug for the defined King James Bible, uh, and it's no longer in print. So that was mean, right? There's also the Westminster Bible, I, I heard, also gives you the archaic words and what they mean. And those are very important tools. So when I read this statement in the King James, children are in heritage of the Lord, I thought this must be one of those archaic words. But it's not. So I did a little word study on the word heritage. In fact, I love looking at the old Bibles leading up to the King James Version, the history. Without the Tyndale Bible, there would be no King James Bible. And so here's some of the other translations. Tyndale uh, did not get a chance to translate Psalms. They killed him before he did. And, and that was a sad thing. But um, Miles Coverdale and John Rogers were um, disciples and students of William Tyndale. And uh, they came out. In fact, uh, you've, if you've heard of the William, the Matthew study, by the Matthew Bible, that was really a pseudonym for John Rogers, who was uh, William Tyndale's apprentice. And he continued the work that William Tyndale did. So it was either him or Miles Coverdale who then translated the Psalms. And here's how Psalm 127.3 is translated in those translations. Lo, children and ye fruit of the womb are an heritage and gift that cometh of the Lord. It's just another way of wording what we just read. The Bishop's Bible, and by the way, the King James Bible uh, was an update, or the, the King James Bible, they used the Bishop's Bible as the template. And here's how that words this. Behold, children be the inheritance of God, and the fruit of the womb is, his, is a reward. The Geneva Bible says, Behold, children are the inheritance of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And other you know, modern versions today will, will translate, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. So the word heritage is still in use. It's still in use in the English. And you get the root of the idea. By the old translations, inheritance, who says that? But that sounds like the next one, inheritance. And the heritage, and the word inheritance, and the word heir, are all from the same word. And so we're going to talk, what does it mean? Children are inheritance of the Lord. One commentator made this statement about Solomon's communication here he said with the true patriarchal feeling of the blessing of a numerous offspring the poet who would be solomon here directly alludes to genesis 32 so take your bibles and turn to genesis chapter 30 and verse 2 which many believe that solomon was referring to this it is the story of rachel and that she was barren she could not bear children, uh, and yet some of his other wives, this was a different time period. And by the way, don't write off all the patriarchs um, because they were polygamous. Remember that statement? Uh, history is a foreign country. They do things differently there. Uh, and, and so we're not going to make a comment. I could do another message on why polygamy is not for today. 
And there's people in Utah that could benefit from that if they would listen. Anyway, so he's, he's going back to this. Genesis chapter 30. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. It is a very sad thing for, for women that want to have children, but they cannot. And uh, praise the Lord. We, we, just saw the, we just saw of the birth of Christine's precious little child, which would not have been possible if it weren't for the advances of the day. And I praise God for that. In fact, just so you know, the Osenbox may leave early today in the middle of our game because he's going to see for the first time ever his grandchild, little Carter. We rejoice. That is a big blessing. So, Here's an example where they didn't have in vitro or possibility. So what happens? But now look at verse 2, because this is what that commentator uh, was referring to, that he believed Psalm 127 verse 3 is is referring to this. Verse 2, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. Here's why. And he said, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? See, Rachel was very upset. And Jacob felt like he was being blamed. And he understood, I'm not the one that gives children. He's a part of it. In other words, it's his seed and all. But he was recognizing and acknowledging something that Solomon was writing about here in Psalm 127. Kids ultimately come from God. And that's why he was, he was upset. He said, am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? When Rachel eventually gave birth to a child of her own, it was because, and you find this in verse 22, look at Genesis 30 and verse 22. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. So see how this is tied in with building a house? You do it without the Lord, it's in vain. See how this is tied into, you know, watching the, the guards watching a city? That if they do it without God, it, it's not going to be as beneficial. And you and I have to realize that children, for the parents that are blessed with children like Moses and Sweetie, it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. You and I need to realize that. The word heir, inheritance, inheritage is used many times in Scripture. Uh, In fact, it is found 30 times in the Bible. uh, The word heritage. Uh, 30 times in the Bible, and all of them except for one are in the Old Testament. Uh, The New New Testament, that same word, is found in Ephesians 1.11. It says, in whom, speaking of Christ also, we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Israel was a heritage, an inheritance of the Lord. In other words, God chose Israel as a special nation. And the church today is our heirs with Christ in the same way that children come from God. It is totally his will, Multitudes of, of parents 
long for children and they're not able to have them. We're going to address that in a minute. Is that a curse? No. It is simply that when God blesses a couple with a child, it is important that they realize that that is of God. I remember visiting a Christian university years ago, and the president at that time uh, gave us a tour, and he made this statement that stuck in my mind, and I've appreciated this, because that university has seen great success over the years, many generations, uh, training people for Christ. And the, um, the president said this. He said, any good that this university does is all because of God. Glory goes to him. Any bad that's happened from this university, that's on me. <laughs> you know. And I appreciated that. And I've never forgotten that. And I would say the same about our church. Any blessing that has come from Bible Baptist Church, it goes to God. And all glory goes to God. And anything bad, that's on me. You know? and, and we can say the same in our own lives. That's, that's what we should say. Any blessing in our lives, anything good that we've been able to do to help others, to encourage others, we realize, folks, we don't deserve the praise for that. God does. But any failures, any stupidity, and I'm speaking for myself here, uh, and there's been a lot of that, that's on me. Now, I love that. And I think that is the idea when it says children are in heritage, a gift from God. That's what he's saying. That's the idea of the heritage. It's, it's of God. God challenges pastors in 1 Peter 5.3. You don't need to turn there. But he tells... He tells pastors to keep them in perspective. Because a pastor, the word, one of the words for pastor is bishop, and it's literally overseer. But the chief bishop, Jesus Christ, is really the head of the church. We are just, and I like the term that's used, pastors are just under shepherds. And I think Peter conveys this idea in 1 Peter 5.3 where he challenges pastors about their motives don't be greedy of filthy lucre. Don't do it for the money. Uh, and he gives all these things. And then he says this. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. In other words, pastors, don't you dare be dictators. Don't you dare be an overbearing tyrant. Because you're going to answer to someone. You are just, uh, again, an under-shepherd. And so you are not lords of God's heritage. The church is God's heritage. This church, every church that is, still has the lamp stand lit that is preaching the gospel, it's God's. It's not any one individual's church. And so God tells pastors, don't you dare lord over God's heritage. Children are God's heritage. And it, we would do well, parents, to remind ourselves that our children are not our own. Either the having of them or the protection and the maintaining of them. Uh, we live in a, in a day where you know, people think it's all up to us. And uh, I have a story that I won't relate too much because of time here. Um, but several years ago, there's an article that came out in Reader's Digest. There was a lady who lived in New York City who had a nine-year-old son who, for, for a couple of years, 
He wanted to take the bus and come home all by himself in New York City. And finally the mom allowed the child to do that. And see what many of you are thinking is the world reacted. She was on all the morning... In fact, let me just read to you a little blurb because she wrote about it. In this article in the Reader's Digest, she goes, Is it just me? Let's stop scaring our kids. And then the subtitle of the article is, Vilified for letting her nine-year-old ride the New York City subway alone, our author implores, Let's stop scaring our kids. I remember being shocked when I read this. She did what? Just like some of you are thinking. This isn't what she says. I love this. She goes, uh, it's 7.35 on the Today Show. And this is, this is dated. You'll hear and you'll know. On the Today Show, the time reversed for big national stories. George Clooney isn't scheduled till later. Ann Curry is speaking directly to the camera. Her face friendly but concerned because her next guest just may be insane. So, she asks her 6 million viewers, is she an enlightened mom or a really bad one. The shot widens to reveal me, the lady says. My son Izzy is by my side, stuffed with NBC's free cookies. Both of us here because I'd recently let him left him deliberately in the first floor handbag department of the Manhattan Bloomingdale's. He was nine and had been begging me to please let him find his way home from someplace, any place on the subway by himself. After all, we live in New York City. And then she goes on and writes all about that. And it eventually made it to national news and it eventually made it to China uh, where uh, it used to be safe to do that kind of thing, but everybody's just gripped in fear. And the, the article illustrated very clearly that we are a nation of fear. And I know that's true in my own life. Parents, we need to realize, accept the Lord keep the city. Except the Lord keep our children. They labor in vain that keep them. Our kids are not ours. They're the Lord's. And we have to realize that. Now let's move to this last point, the last verse. And I want to spend a few minutes here. The fruit of the womb is His reward. And I want to read what a commentator said that really nailed it. Because this statement... This idea has crept into so many minds. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now we think of rewards for the things we accomplish. They give out rewards at business, Christmas business dinners. You know, you get a reward. This employee gets a reward because they accomplished this. This person gets a reward because they did this. And some people get the idea that God is giving out special trophies for those who've really worked hard and deserve it more than anyone else, and his trophies are children. And they would, they would then go to this verse. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Listen to what this commentator said. It is not a reward of debt, merited by good men, but a reward of grace. As the Apostle expresses himself in Romans 4.4, which God gives them graciously, and as Jacob acknowledges of his children. Here's the point. Because there is this mentality that if we want the blessings of God, we've got to earn them. 
And if you think that the people that have children are the rewarded ones, the people that don't have children are the punished ones, you are really, really wrong. And it's important that you wonder, this is not what this is saying. In fact, there's an interesting story when you, tra- uh, when you study the translation or the, the copying of manuscripts. Now remember, before 1454, when the printing press was in- invented, every copy of the Bible was hand-copied from another copy. And, and so there's literally thousands and thousands of copies. That's the only way you got your Bible. And it's interesting because there's certain things, just like today, if I let, gave a lecture and I said, I want you all to take notes and you would write things down, there would be some very common mistakes. Or if somebody, uh, I gave you a paragraph from a book, and I said, okay, take a blank piece of paper and write this paragraph. There would be certain things that creep in that they've known. Uh, for example, do you ever do this? you ever copy something? And you're copying, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking. And all of a sudden, you end on one sentence, which begins with the same word as another sentence, and then you write that other sentence. That's a very common, you could call it a mistake, uh, but they've, they're able to see these. Now, when things like that creep in, they call that a gloss. Probably never heard of this. But when the Hebrew Bible was being translated, uh, a gloss is something that is added in later. And, a, and sometimes, this was something, in fact, thank the Lord that the Jews uh, were very diligent in the copying of their scriptures, which led to the Masoretic texts. But the Masoretic texts... Uh, in order to get it, there was some what were called glosses in there, and they found that there would be scribes that would insert in the scriptures this idea that you had to merit God's favor. And that's like a default setting of people today, is it not? People act like, I've got to be worthy. I've got I've to deserve this. And so, how many precious women who are not able to give children somehow think that God is punishing them, like Rachel, like Hannah in the Bible, probably the most well-known story. But folks, when the Bible says the fruit of the womb is his reward, it is not saying that he is blessing people. And don't you think that you are anything less? You all know my story, most of you do, that we were married for some time before we were able to have children. And I want to assure you, that it wasn't like the first nine years of our marriage, I was not worthy, and my wife was not worthy. And finally, after nine years of marriage, I became worthy. And I finally earned it. And I could say to you, yes, we finally deserve children. I want to tell you something. I still don't deserve children. I've got four of them, and five in heaven. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, but I'm telling you, folks, it is not because of our worthiness. That idea that it's his reward is simply his blessing. In the same way that anyone, like anything you do that you are successful at, if you're humble, you'll acknowledge it's all for God. It's all God's glory. He's the one enabled me to do that. We wouldn't take credit for it, nor should we. It's the same with children. For God's reasons, sometimes he doesn't bless people with children. And it is important that you and I understand he is not cursing you. 
He is not punishing you. And I close with this. When we talk about the fruit of the womb, it would be the fruit of Mary's womb that would bless the entire human race. Unto us a child is given. A son was born, Jesus Christ. None of us deserve Jesus Christ. None of us deserve salvation. And yet God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. It's not you become worthy. Folks, faith is totally contrasted from works. The two don't ever see face to face. If you're saved by works, by what you do, then you're not going by faith. And that's the only way to get saved. So I want to encourage you, if you've not received Jesus Christ, He is the reason for the season. You need to embrace Him. And so we want, and I also want to encourage you to be praying for Moses and Sweetie as they have been blessed with this precious little glam model who knows it. (laughs) What a blessing. Uh, Let's pray for them right now. Okay, Father, thank you again that we are able to be a part of um, just the blessing. Really, what an encouragement. Father, I think of all those times when Sweetie and Hatier would join us just as a little baby uh, on our Zoom prayer meetings before we were getting together and how every one of our prayer meetings ended with uh, the cuteness, the blessing of just seeing little Hatier and um, and how she as we would just over those weeks and months and Really, over the year, uh, we saw her grow and get cuter and start to talk. And she's just um, a very special gift to Moses and Sweetie. And she is a very special gift to us. So, Lord, we commit her to you. We ask your blessing. We pray that all of us would get behind uh, Moses and Sweetie and just pray for little Hatier as we get the privilege of seeing her grow and we commit her to you. We commit them to you. And now, Father, we, as we think of, uh, we head towards our meal, our banquet. Thank you for all the delicious food. Thank you for those that labored. And uh, just give us a great time of fellowship around the table. And we thank you for the food. Thank you for the blessing. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We're going to stand.